Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. I take full responsibility for everything this government has been doing in tackling coronavirus, and I'm very proud of our record. Tens of thousands of our citizens have died avoidably. These were unnecessary deaths because of systematic government misconduct. With good British common sense, we will continue to defeat this virus and take this country forward. There are a lot of green shoots of opportunity on the horizon. You know, we've been held down on forest floor for far too long, and we will reach that canopy again. Hello, you're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Sebastian Salik. Good afternoon. I'm Caroline Hepger. Well, Seb, what are you prepared to suffer for a festive season knees up? That seems to be the question from the government. Yeah, there's going to be some sort of trade-off. How far do we go? Would you rather have Christmas or January? I know which one I'd choose, but mixed reaction to the idea of a month-long lockdown in England in January to allow us to see our loved ones over Christmas. The government's advisory body, SAGE, saying uh, is said to have recommended that for every day of relaxation, we need five days of t- tighter restrictions would be needed. So if you've got, what, five days off over Christmas, between Christmas Eve and New Year, you're looking at a month, you're looking at the whole of January, spent in pretty isolated circumstances and what is already quite a dreary time of year. Yeah, absolutely. Many MPs, though, are concerned about the impact of another set of restrictions, of course. Mark Harper is the chair of the government's COVID recovery group. Saying to families you can have a, a, you know, a reasonably normal family Christmas, but then putting restrictions in place which may well impact their livelihoods, I don't think is going to be a very welcome Christmas present. So, uh, according to the Daily Telegraph newspaper, the plan would also mean no household mixing when the national lockdown ends on the 2nd of December, with actually all parts of the country under at least tier two restrictions. So, Seb, all the newspapers, you know, coming up with a different view of exactly what this new version of tiered restrictions is going to look like. Yeah, Fleet Street absolutely running with this one. Of course, there's a huge amount of public interest in it, but all the papers are plastered with some theory around what is coming up next. And then we've got a bit of good news because key to all of this is the race for a vaccine, of course. You've got Oxford and AstraZeneca saying that their option, their injection, has produced strong immune responses in older adults. This is from an early study. Pivotal findings from the final phase of trials is expected to come in the next few weeks. We'll be watching very keenly for any update on when all of this can be over. Yeah, exactly. And so shall we bring in our guest uh, for this part of the programme? Uh, Graham Stringer is Labour MP for uh, Blackley and Broughton. Thank you so much for being with us, Graham. Look, first of all, what do you make of Christmas? Uh, what happens over Christmas and in January? What would you pick? Well, first of all, um, I would want to know what the scientific evidence was that if you have a families mixing over Christmas, that you need five days of lockdown. One of the problems with the government's response uh, to the COVID-19 virus has been that it hasn't used the scientific evidence to come to conclusions. It has also only looked at one side of the equation. It's looked at how many people will get sick because of COVID, and that's 
a really important issue, but they've not looked at the damage that is being done to our health service because uh, of the lockdown and changes in the provision of health service for other illnesses, and they've not looked at the uh, drastic economic uh, consequences of, of the lockdown. We've already got a million people unemployed mm. who were employed at the start of the year. So I think we have to balance all these things up and look in detail at, at the evidence. Um, I mean, Graham, I know this is something that you've been quite vocal around with the government scientists, their use of data, their use of statistics. How much faith do you have in this SAGE modelling that we've just been talking about? In the modelling, uh, as I say, I want to look at it. I mean, modelling is a it's a different kind of science if it is science at all. Science relies on you being able to test it and disprove it and uh, modelling, you can't do that. And most of the models, when you look back, are, are, are wrong. They're useful for scientists as a way of uh, correlating what happens if you move one thing or you change one variable to another. They're not a good way of forecasting. And when you get down to it, scientists don't claim that. But I've uh -huh. not got a lot of faith in it. OK, but at the moment, we actually don't know what the government is taking into account, actually. And this is this kind of line from the British Chambers of Commerce, who have a similar view, but from a business perspective, they want to understand, um, you know, why businesses were closed. And they've um, issued this Freedom of Information um, request to try to get the underlying um, kind of research that the government based the lockdown uh, on. In your view, then, what ideally would happen for you and your constituents in Greater Manchester then? Because we're all trying to weigh up, everybody's trying to weigh up lives and livelihoods. What would you see as ideal now going into Christmas and January? Well, going back to the transparency issue, I think the government have responded more to where they believe public opinion is and it responded politically rather than looking at uh, the evidence. I certainly would want much of the hospitality industry opening again in a way that is as safe as possible uh, with people being checked when they enter, people respecting social uh, distancing. So, I mean, if, if we want to talk about it in, in what's gone ahead, some sort of modified uh, tier two uh, for Greater Manchester, I think would be ideal. It would help the economy to get going and stop people being as depressed as they are. It would enable hospitals to uh, open again to fully to treat other diseases apart from uh, COVID. So that would be the way I would look uh, forward uh, to, to things changing. But having had a good look at the evidence and having none of these nonsensical policies that pubs have to close at 10 o'clock, that actually probably... Uh, caused more infection as people got together outside rather than letting, or went back to people's houses, rather than letting people drift off uh, over the course of an evening. Do you think, though, under a, a modified Tier 2 or some sort of restrictions going ahead, that public will to stick to the rules would be maintained? I mean, we're talking about going into January here, it's a dark time, but also coming up to a year when all of this started, are people just going to get tired? I think that's a really interesting question. I, if you look at the opinion polls, people are saying, yes, we want more uh, restrictions, we want to make everybody safe. If you look at what's happening, and people are making their own decisions uh, to 
do what they think will keep them and their families safe, and they're ignoring some of the more detailed uh, rules. I think partly the reason for that is how complicated the rules have got and how many times uh, they've changed. There have been an, over a 100 changes in uh, government rules applying to people. You want very simple rules that people can see the common sense behind. Then I think people will follow them. At the moment, talking to friends and constituents, they're getting on with their lives as much as they can. And while they're law-abiding people under most circumstances, they're not really following the letter of the law on this because they don't see the sense in it. Uh, Graham, well, speaking of rules, what about these rules? Um, was Keir Starmer right to let Corbyn back into the party? Keir Starmer didn't let uh, Corbyn back into the party. It was a, a panel of Labour Party members from our National Executive Committee mm. uh, that took that uh, decision. Uh, but to get to the root of the problem, I think the whole issue is a, a mess. I am an embarrassed and ashamed as a long, a lifelong member of the Labour Party that we have been found in breach of the law uh, in uh, having policies that were anti-Semitic or having practices that were anti-Semitic. What we should have done is just say, sorry, sorry. Uh, that is a mess. We will have new, clear, independent procedures. And we've carried on with the old procedures, which has uh, meant that Jeremy Corbyn was suspended and reinstated within 90 day, 19 days. Nobody believes that process uh, was completely independent, as we promised it would be in response to uh, the, the report that found the Labour Party guilty of breaching the legislation. The issue with this, Graham, of course, though, is that it's intricately linked with the tribalism and the factionalism within Labour. And now Starmer coming under accusations from the unions, who are big financial backers. How does he get himself out of that mess unscathed and keep the party together? I see these these polls putting the public saying that the Labour Party is more and more divided, and that's surely not a good look. You're absolutely right again. It's not a good look. And I think the only way of dealing with that is to go to the deep uh, principles and administer the Labour Party according to those deep principles. If somebody is accused of being racist in some way or anti-Semitic, then they should have their day in court very quickly uh, with an independent body. And I think everybody can uh, agree with that. We need to do that uh, very quickly. Otherwise, people will plant uh, their standards, their flags in Jeremy Corbyn's camp or Keir Starmer's camp, and we will be in for a long time uh, internal mm. dispute, which the public will despise us for. We need to get away from that. That is the last thing we need. When the first part of this yeah. uh, discussion, we were talking about what really matters to people, their jobs and their health and how we deal with the COVID-19 epidemic. Are you worried about a backlash from the unions? And surely does this not also have some implication for union reform? Well, that's a very, that is a deep question. Of course, I, I mean, I think the answer to the previous question, I'm worried about disputes within the Labour Party about something that, as an absolute priority, should be resolved because mm. we shouldn't have administrative uh, administra procedures that are uh, 
against the law. So yes, we need to deal with with that. Uh, and I think that when we do yeah. deal with that, then a lot of the disputes will disappear. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Let's have a look at what else is making news in the world of politics. And we've got to start with some transatlantic deal making. A Bloomberg exclusive here. The UK and Canada said to be on the brink of signing a new trade deal. That's to replace the existing agreement that Britain has through its membership of the EU. Last year, trade between the two nations was worth about £17 billion. So it's not really huge, but I think it's more a symbolic thing. It's one of these Brexiteers saying we can go out there, we can strike trade deals with other countries. Sources tell Bloomberg an announcement is expected within days. And we had Japan, Mm. didn't we? Was it last month? So these are starting to stack up. But numbers-wise, I mean, UK total trade with the EU, £423 billion compared to this 17 billion so it really is minuscule comparatively yeah absolutely standing still with canada is considered a win uh, anyway on to other news uh, the bcc the british chambers of commerce wants the evidence behind lockdown um this because they think that businesses need it from the government to publish the scientific evidence that was used to justify the last uh, lockdown that began a couple of weeks ago uh, so the bcc submitted a freedom of information request it's also warning about a lack of clarity over what restrictions will then be imposed when the measures are actually lifted, if they are, on the 2nd of December. Here's Adam Marshall, the BBC, BCC's Director General, saying that firms need time to prepare. So many firms would need to get staff back, they would need to get stock in, and they would need to make plans for how they keep their people safe and trade safely. So giving them some notice is absolutely critical. That was Adam Marshall there, the BCC Director General. I've got to say, Caroline, with the virus going as it is and Brexit going as it is, I'm pretty glad I'm not in charge of operations at a business right now. It really would be a nightmare to try and see what's coming around the corner. I'll tell you who else is having a nightmare. Keir Starmer facing fresh questions over his handling of the Jeremy Corbyn anti-Semitism round. We talked about this a little bit with Graham Stringer. So Corbyn allies accusing uh, the Labour leader of doing a deal with his predecessor to let him back in the party and then going back on it by refusing to restore the whip when he got a bit of heat from the Jewish community or some parts of the Jewish community at least. The Guardian and the Telegraph both reporting that the Unite Union and the former Shadow Chancellor John McDonnell had sought to broker a resolution with the General Secretary David Evans, but then Jewish groups and Labour MPs kicked off. Starmer then is said to have panicked and rode back. Starmer says there was no deal. Um, it seems pretty hard to believe that in the face of all this reporting from quite a wide variety of sources. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I just noticed that Graham Stringer, when I mentioned the idea of union reform, uh, dodged that one very, very swiftly. <laughs> uh, let's also talk about defence spending. Um, so British defence spending uh, being increased by an extra £16.5 billion over the next four years. So the money is going to be used to boost artificial intelligence, protect the UK from cyber attacks and also establish a space command by 2022. Now, Tobias Elwood is the Conservative chair of the Commons Defence Select Committee. So much of that cyber capabilities goes through satellites. And so it's so important that we recognise that the operations of conflicts have actually extended way beyond 
the, the ASC and land, but into these new domains. Tobias then no doubt will be uh, thrilled with this defence spending. Tobias then will a friend of the show, of course, that comes as part of the plan to get the government back on track. We had the green plan yesterday, all of this criticism clouding uh, the government really amid the state of the pandemic. And also you've got the Prime Minister self-isolating after having been exposed to a positive case of coronavirus. So perhaps taking the sheen off things a little bit when he wants to be out there trying to get back to his domestic agenda. The question then is, is this really getting any sort of traction from the public. So let's talk about this with Mike Indian. He's a political consultant and author of the Groucho Tendency blog. Mike, good to have you. Um, if, first of all, is this getting picked up really? I mean, we're getting these spending announcements day after day. Are people paying attention to this or are they just too worried about the state of the virus and thinking about what their Christmas is going to look like? I suspect most people are focused on the latter, Sebastian. They're really thinking about whether or not they're going to have their nearest and dearest with them and probably looking ahead to see what the government decides to do with lockdown next week. But be under no mistake, this multi-year settlement, 16.5 billion over four years for the MOD, is a big win for the Prime Minister and a big win for his Defence Secretary Ben Wallace against the Treasury that has been, until now, wanting to keep spending on year-by-year horizon until next year. Yeah, I think this kind of raises an interesting question about exactly what type of Conservative government this is. I mean, this is very much a kind of hardcore right-wing political policy versus yesterday's, uh, you know, Green Agenda announcements. Um, What do you think it says about what the Conservative leadership is trying to achieve? I think it shows that the Johnsonian government is trying to find its way between the traditional staples that would keep the parliamentary party happy, but also looking forward as well. So I'm thinking to earlier this week with bringing forward the deadline for banning uh, new petrol and diesel cars to mm. 2030. That's going to be five or ten years earlier than they thought. But the Prime Minister himself is really trying to show that he understands the concerns that his backbenchers get. Because don't forget, we've had double-digit U-turns this year, mainly forced by primarily the 2019 intake of Conservative MPs, led by more experienced members like Jane Berry through the Northern Research Group, for example. But giving multi-year spending settlements on areas like defence is something that's going to be very popular, given the consistent promises of the Conservatives to spend 2% of GDP in order to meet that NATO target. Is it really a priority, though? Because, I mean, you see a lot of surveys, you see a lot of polls around what people think the most important issues for the country are. Defence is really not something that comes up very often. Who is this pleasing? I think it's mainly targeted at uh, Conservative backbench MPs, to be honest, uh, Sebastian. You're right there that most people are concerned about the pandemic, but there are also practicalities to consider as well. The government's integrated review, which the Prime Minister will, will be announcing the findings of this afternoon of the Commons, is an important plank of what the government wants to see as the UK's positioning in the world. We've already seen the merging of the Foreign Office and the International Development Department earlier in the year. And that integrated review can only really succeed if there's a multi-year spending settlement in place for that. Of course, the Treasury wants to try and keep some fiscal firepower back because we're not sure yet what could happen with the pandemic, the vaccine and the economic recovery, and by extent, the, per- the country's finances. But... In putting this in place, Boris Johnson is saying we are committed to finding out Britain's place in the world. And a key part of that is our strategic settlement for defence. Yeah, absolutely. And the one year spending review due to be delivered by the Chancellor next week. Uh, Look, more broadly, then, this is the week, really, that we've heard a lot from this government about a reset, a refresh and so on. What do you think um, Johnson can do in order to actually ensure that it's a success? I mean, what? other than getting down the case numbers? 
Unfortunately, at the moment, I think that the departure of Dominic Cummings and Lee Kane at the end of last week, and they're still working out their notice periods, I understand it, until mid-December, it's going to really be about messaging. And we're going to see Allegra Stratton, the PMC press secretary, coming forward. So I think this week, although there were some policy announcements planned and the PM was planning to give some speeches, it's really more about changing the tone with which particularly the, uh, the government's been engaging, not only with its own MPs, not only with its own MPs, but also with the wider parliamentary lobby. These are the people that still are important for getting its messaging out. And although I think the policy announcements themselves are significant, it's largely a problem of tone and messaging that has bedeviled the Johnson government this year, particularly the breakdown in that consistency of communication that we saw early on in the pandemic response, particularly with eight different versions of the furlough scheme movement from protect the NHS to hand space space and the different confusing layers of lockdown people are facing now as well but the departure of his most prominent advisors from the vote leave campaign is the opportunity for a reset but don't forget it's still the man at the top that makes the decisions here and we still have Boris Johnson as prime minister I'm skeptical about how much of a change we'll actually see well, I mean, one of the things that people have been speculating around is that now the vote leave contingent are making their way out of Downing Street. You're left largely with a lot of city hall people. And of course, Boris Johnson as mayor of London was a very social, well, I say very, it was relatively more socially liberal. Uh, is that the sort of prime minister we might see? Or has that been scuppered by the sort of thing we're seeing today with defence spending? I mean, undoubtedly, the city hall contingent have won the power struggle behind the scenes for the top bit. But um, Lord Eddie Ungerlister is only going to be there for a short space of time. Now, of course, Nira Murder is still um, the Prime Minister's Chief of Policy, but mm. there is still really, I think, a battle for the soul of Number 10 going on mm. here. And, of course, the government hasn't wanted to move beyond its uh, manifesto last year as well. But I suspect, given the fact that we're going to see probably some ramifications of not reaching a trade agreement with the EU if one isn't reached, coupled with the, um, the worsening forecast of the pandemic, the government needing to move further than that manifesto there. And that's where Boris Johnson, Boris Johnson's habits of thinking on his feet, his instinctual feel for campaigning and reading the public mood has to come back into play now. That's his real strength, but we haven't seen it this year with the pandemic. No, indeed. Um, look, so on the flip side, Keir Starmer, um, is he out of the woods when it comes to the Corbyn issue that's plagued Labour? Absolutely not. I mean, this this is the last thing that Labour really needed to be talking about right now. Starmer's worked incredibly hard to try and detoxify parts of his predecessor's legacy and also the problems that have bedeviled the Labour Party arguably since it left government 10 years ago. It'd be wrong to lay all this at Mr Corbyn's door. But the, la- the former Labour leader's failure to issue a full retraction has essentially put his successor in a difficult position. You can't win the Labour leadership with a commitment to tackle anti-Semitism and then allow the person most prominently associated with those the handling of those allegations in the minds of many people to be seen to have differential treatment. So as it is, we have this rather awkward scenario now, and I was trying to explain this to a friend of mine. He said, well, isn't Corbyn back in Labour? And I said, well, he is, and he isn't. The Parliamentary Labour Party is different to the Labour Party as, mm. as is. But so whilst this is something of a Westminster story, for most people out there, they'll just be seeing the same thing they've seen from Labour argued for the last five or ten years. A lot of internal divisions, a lot of squabbling, at a time when they really want to be seeing an alternative and a challenge to what the government's doing. Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers and innovators leading the way from design and culture to technology, science and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions. July 10th through 13th in Seattle. 
Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.